Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor Nick Davies on April 25th, 2021, during our Sunday evening service. If you have never joined us in person, we would love to see you here. Our services are Sunday at 10.30 a.m., Sunday at 7 p.m., and Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Imagine for a moment you have a serious cough. Jude is under the weather. He's had quite quite the cough over the past couple days. Um, so this is quite funny that I would write this down, not knowing that he would be coughing today. But imagine you have a serious cough. One, you just you can't shake. For two weeks, you've been coughing so bad that it just wakes you up. Now, Judah has a cough so bad that it woke me up. Um, so you take some cough medicine. It only helps a little bit. Eventually, you decide to go to the doctor. The doctor runs a test, runs another test, and another test. You sit, worried, anxious, wondering, is this serious? Is this not serious? The doctor comes into the office and says to you, I'm writing you a prescription for cough medicine. Looks like this isn't going away anytime soon. See you next year for your annual physical. You sit and think, well, I guess it's just a nagging cough. Maybe deep down you think it's something else, but you shake it off and you go about your day. No longer suffering the cough. How about that? But now there's weird pain somewhere in your chest. So you pop a couple Advil and that goes away too. Cough gone, pain gone, perfect. Life back to normal. Two days ago though, when your doctor, when you were at the doctor, he gave you cough medicine. What he didn't tell you was all those tests led them to believe you have pretty serious lung disease. It was bad, but it was probably treatable. Instead, you complained about the cough, so he treated the symptom. He knew the core problem. He knew coughing was simply just a symptom of a deeper issue that was going on. And so the symptom was treated. But it was never going to go away because at the heart of it, the core problem was never fixed. The lung disease was never handled. The cough medicine could only fix so much. Fixing the symptom left you feeling better, but it really left you truly only getting worse. We're all faced with this every day, right? Sin, brokenness, deadness. As we talked about this morning, everything in this life is heading in a deteriorating direction. The only thing that isn't is the Word of God because God Himself is not. And you and I as believers, spiritually, we will be living eternally. As Christians, we fall victim to this treating of the symptoms. If you're not a believer, you do too. We think, if I just get everything together, it'll be fine. If I just fix this problem here, it'll be fine. If I just stop lying, things are going to get better if I stop doing this and that. If so-and-so maybe would stop doing this or that, then things would get better. They would get better. We look at other people's problems and just wish they would just stop. Wish they would just stop. And then everything would be fine, right? If we fix the problems, 
It's all good. When we do that, when we just want to fix the behavior, fix the, the symptom, if you will, that's called behavior modification. It's just changing what you do. It's changing your behavior and it's only on willpower and thinking, oh, that's going to fix everything. If I just think hard enough about this problem, it'll go away. Now, changing your behavior is a good thing, right? We're called to live lives that are changed. We're called to live lives that are different than the rest of the world. We're called to live lives that reflect Jesus. So changing your behavior is a great thing. But if there's a deeper problem, and let me tell you, there is, then it's not really going to solve anything to just change how you act. If you really want to change, then you're going to want to look at the heart of the problem, which, let me tell you, is our hearts. Amen. The problem is us. The problem is sin that dwells in us. The problem is that you and I desire what is contrary to God's will. Don't believe me? Galatians 5.17 it says, for the, fluff, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Our flesh is against the spirit. Sin is not merely a problem with an outside attack. It's an issue with the heart. Now, don't get me wrong. It is, there is an outside attack. We're going to talk about that. When it comes down to it, as Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Our hearts, ourselves, are wicked. We cannot always just pass the blame to someone else or something else. Although there's no doubt that Satan prowls. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. There's no doubt he's out prowling around. But we also need to recognize and stand up that our own sinful desires lead us astray because they are desperately wicked and we are desperately in need of a Savior. Turn with me to James 1. We're going to look at verse 14 and 17. Again, we're going to be bouncing around to a lot of different passages, so get your Bibles ready page markers when we flip them back and forth. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 say this, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. What is sin? Overall, it's actions by which humans rebel against God, miss his purpose for their life, and surrender to the power of evil rather than to God. Simply put, it means to miss the mark of who God called us to be. I learned at camp that sin is an archery term. It means to not hit the bullseye. You didn't get it just right. It means to do the opposite of what he has told us we are to do. Now, that can come in two forms. Sin by omission, and sin by commission. Omission is not doing what you are supposed to do. A good example of this is Jonah refusing to go to Nineveh when God had commanded him to do so. He didn't do what he should have done. 
Another example was maybe that you were supposed to love your wife, and you're not loving her. Therefore, you're not doing what you were commanded and supposed to do. You're leaving out what God has said. This should be present in your life. And then there's the sin of by commission. It's doing what you're not supposed to do. Good example of this, and we'll talk about this, touch on this a little bit more in a bit, is David and Bathsheba. David wasn't supposed to do that. David was not supposed to sleep with another man's wife. He shouldn't have done it, but he did it. He did something he shouldn't have done. Another example is maybe you're going out all the time and getting drunk. You shouldn't be doing that, so you're sinning by commission. It's doing something that you are not supposed to do. Two sides of that. We all do both of those, as unfortunate as it is. But what are the effects of this? What are the core effects of sin? To understand this, we need to go back all the way to the beginning in Genesis 1. So if you turn there, we're going to be looking all over that passage. In Genesis 1, 1, God miraculously creates the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 31, we see God say, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the evening and the morning were the sixth day. In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, mankind is given the command to eat from any tree except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 3, we see Eve tempted. Genesis 3, 6, Eve eats the fruit. Adam willingly takes and eats the fruit as well. And thus, the first sin entered the world. Mankind's relationship with God was broken. This makes Romans 5.12 pretty important. Look what it says. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all, for that all have sinned. Adam sins, and it spreads a wildfire throughout his offspring. It spreads a wildfire throughout creation of sin and death. What we are all under. In Genesis 3, 7, and 10, um, if you look at those verses, these first three chapters of Genesis, I reference these a lot because they're pretty important. Look at verse 7 of chapter 3. It says, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Look at verse 10. It says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. In these two verses, we see an important thing, a sad thing, but important for us to understand in light of the gospel, is that we have estrangement from ourselves. They were ashamed of themselves. They hid themselves. They experienced something that they had not experienced before, and so they hid in their sin and their shame. In verses 8 through 10, it says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Second thing is we see estrangement from God. Their relationship was broken in that moment, 
of disobedience. And so not only were they ashamed of themselves, but they were ashamed before their creator, who they had no need to be ashamed beforehand, but because of their sin, they had estrangement from God. They put something before him. And in an idolatrous act, had estrangement from him. Their relationship was snapped. In verses 11 through 13, we see estrangement from one another and from creation. And he said, who, in verse 11, and he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee not, that thou should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is that that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Adam passes the blame, throws his wife right under the bus. Estrangement from one another. Their perfect relationship, broken. It's not what it should have been. From themselves, from God, and from one another. Now, you and I to this day still experience temptation, right? We still sin. We still miss the mark. Now, there's a couple ways that we go about sinning. The first is through an external temptation. Let's say you're going to work, right? Someone cuts you off. Anybody get road rage? All right, I'll be the first to say that. Sometimes it happens. If you're going 30 and a 50, I, I got to confess after that drive. You're put into a position, though, to choose between being patient and loving and being angry, hateful, or unkind. What choice do we make? It's not something that necessarily we have caused to happen. We haven't put ourselves in a bad situation. The situation just happened to come upon us. It's an example of an external temptation. Genesis 39, Joseph and Potiphar. Uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. The story goes that Potiphar had put Joseph in charge of everything in his home except for his wife. Potiphar's wife, though, thought Joseph was a handsome man and tried many times to get Joseph to sleep with her. And finally, he's backed into a corner where it seemed like he had no choice. These are just circumstances that happened to him. What's he going to do? Go to jail? Yes. In fact, that's exactly what he does. Instead of giving in, he runs, thankfully. He gives us an example of what to do when we're faced with temptation in our lives. He was being actively tempted by something that was really out of his control. He was trying not to find himself in the situation, and yet it kept happening to him. So there's no doubt that we have external temptations. Satan is prowling around. He's going to use every opportunity he can to get us to slip up and fall. The second thing is that we have temptation via an internal desire. Say you've always been a close relational person. You like physical touch. That's your love language. And it's built up in your mind that your spouse just really hasn't been engaging with you or meeting that physical touch need. The next day you're angry at your spouse for not doing the dishes for the thousandth time and you're sitting in bed thinking about how you can't stand it. So you start thinking how it would be better to have a spouse that actually cared about you and listened to you and did things that contribute to your family and just gave you that physical touch. So you start the process of a slippery slope. You download an app. You connect with an old friend on Facebook. It goes further. In 
end up lying and cheating and breaking up your family. Let me tell you that even just reaching out maybe to a friend when you're in that mindset is probably too far. But this is an example of just an internal desire that has eaten away at you. And rather than stepping back, assessing the situation and realizing where you're at, you give in to that internal desire. A biblical example of this would be 2 Samuel 11, where we see David and Bathsheba. David was in a place that maybe he shouldn't have been. He put himself in a position where he knew he could be tempted. He looked at a woman that was not his wife. He sent servants to bring her to himself. And he slept with her, conceiving a child. David was lured by his own desires. He was in a position that he never should have been in. And he gave in to the temptation that played off of that internal desire he already had. Now, the temptations of external and the temptations of internal play off of one another for sure, right? They're not exclusive from one another. They tend to blur lines. But to get perspective, really every external desire, every external temptation plays off of an internal desire. It's playing off of something that's already in your heart. That situation with your spouse there's something already going on in your heart, and maybe the situation is feeding that. And in those moments, we all want to believe the best about ourselves, right? No one wants to look in the mirror and think, you wretched sinner. No one wants to do that. No one wants to stand in front of a mirror and say that. Maybe you say to yourself, oh, if I wasn't in that position, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had to do that. But I had to. That's, just, that's, that's the only option I had. It's his fault. He didn't love me. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have cheated. Here's the problem with blaming everybody else. You and I, we have a choice. Amen. We have a choice to make. It's a tough choice. It's a daily choice. More than that, it's moment-by-moment moment choice. But there's always a way out. But you give in again and again. You always have a choice. You're never left without a choice. In fact, Scripture makes it pretty clear. Look over at 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 13, this passage, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above, the, ye, above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So when the rubber meets the road, right, we, all, we all have a choice. So when the rubber meets the road, what's the real problem? What's really going on? Well, the reality is the core problem is a broken, sinful heart that we all have. We all have a broken, sinful heart. Isaiah 56, all, like, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. We've all gone our own way. We all have sinful, broken hearts. With that known, we're forced to ask ourselves a question. If we have this broken, sinful heart in our lives, why do we have a choice? How do we have a choice, really? How do we have a choice to not sin when all we're working with is filthy rags? Well, the answer is Jesus. Because Jesus overcame sin. In John 3, 
verses 19 through 20. It says, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. This passage contrasts us with Jesus. We in our sin, without him as our without him as our savior, stand contrary to Jesus. Every one of us, Romans 3:23 have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6:23 says that for the wages of sin is death. This is me and you before Jesus came into our heart. But when Jesus steps into your life, you confess him as your Savior, we get to say what we talked about this morning in 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57. Look back at it and see what it says. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How great is this, right? Jesus has victory over sin, and through Jesus' victory over sin, we too can stand against sin and death and say, where's your victory? I can stand against this. Because, and only because, of the power of Jesus working in us. Look over at Ephesians chapter 2. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Incredibly powerful. Look at, starting in verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past and the lust of our flesh. We see that again there. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by children of wrath even as others. This describes each and every one of us sitting in this room. And if you know Jesus, you know verse 4 is a cry of victory says, but God. Not but Nick. Not but DJ. No. But God. Not you and me. Him. He stepped down. Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Our core problem is our broken, sinful hearts. In verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, we find our hope of Amen. withstanding the temptation to sin. 
despite the core of our the core issue being our broken hearts, we have an all-powerful God that was willing to buy us back. If you know Jesus as your Savior, what was written in 2 Corinthians 5.17 applies to you now. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old are past, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Our stone heart was replaced, removed with a heart of flesh given to us by Jesus. So when God says in 1 Corinthians 10 that he gives us a way out of sin, he's not lying. He said it's possible. We can overcome the temptations that we face daily to sin. He's afforded us that opportunity to escape it entirely through one way, the way, the truth, and the life, his son Jesus. 1 John 2.2 says, And he is the propitiation of our sins, not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Through Jesus, we have victory over sin. Through Jesus, we have victory over death. As we come to a close tonight, I want to talk about overcoming sin. I have a great daily devotional that I uh, bounce back and forth between a few others, but when I was writing this message, I was reading this one in particular. It's by Paul David Tripp. Um, I absolutely love it, and I was writing this over a period of few days, and during one of those days, uh, I read a quote that I felt could not be more applicable to this message. He said this, Justification is the only foundation for personal transformation. Personal transformation never results in justification. Did you catch that? This guy is just simply saying what Scripture states over and over, that you can't good enough your problem away. You can't just work your way there. You can't serve the problem the way. You can't love the problem away. You can't kindness the problem away. You can only Jesus the problem away. Only through the power of Jesus are you able to be justified. Here's why. Because you can't save yourself. You need a Savior. Men have tried and tried and tried, and they trust in themselves. And when they do, it only fails them. You need a Savior because behavior modification, fixing the symptoms doesn't solve the core problem. It just makes seeing the core issue of a broken, dead separation from our Savior inside of us more difficult to see. But we can overcome because Jesus overcame for us. We can overcome this core issue in our hearts because Jesus overcame our wicked hearts. He could not be defeated by death, so neither will we, his children. I don't want to leave you with a quote from some random guy, so let me read to you a portion of Scripture that reminds us of Jesus' central role in this salvation and overcoming of sin. Look with me at Titus chapter 2, verses 11-14. through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. See? Changing your behavior is a good thing, but only after we follow Jesus. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity 
and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous for good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You see, because God stepped down to heal your broken heart, to mend the shattered relationship between you and him, to make new life out of what was dead, you can be free from sin because of what Jesus did. Behavior modification isn't it. Being good enough isn't it. Or trying hard enough isn't it. If you want freedom in this life, if you want freedom in this world that we live in that's falling apart, then you need the gift of salvation. You need Jesus. God in the flesh, Savior, that hung on a bloody cross for you because he loved you. And he saw the sin that was in your heart separating you from him. And he loved you. He loved you enough to do that because he knew that wasn't the best for you. And when you receive him, you start to change. When you receive him, life starts to look different. You change from the inside out. You work in the power of the spirit that's living in you to grow and reflect his character more. You grow letting his light shine through you. It's not your power. It's the power of God working in you and on you. You use your God-given talents and gifts for his glory. Before that, when we work just to earn our way, we're really doing that selfishly. It doesn't get us anywhere anyway. But you start seeing the symptoms go away once the heart changes. Once the heart changes, our lives walk down the path of sanctification, an everyday process of growing in holiness, looking more and more like our Savior. At least that's the way it's supposed to go. And one day, we're going to be symptomless. One day, we're going to spend an eternity with Jesus where there's no more effects of sin. Won't that be wonderful? But until that day, our call is to stop relying on ourselves to fix the problem. It's to stop relying on our own strength to overcome sin. We can overcome sin in the daily temptations that we face because, raise of hands, we all face them, right? We all face temptation. We're not going to get through our day on our own power. That's why growing your relationship with him through reading his word is important. That's why being here on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it's important. Fellowship with other believers draws you closer to Jesus. As we grow with one another, we are looking to our Savior. We come together to worship and draw closer to him. That's why those things are important. Because without him, we will give in to those temptations that we face. But with him, nothing stands a chance. Nothing stands a chance of distracting us. We have to spend time with him. Spend time in his word. I want to read a psalm together as we head into our invitation. Psalm 51. It says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from mine sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest 
Be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Have you been broken for your sin? Zandy comes and plays an invitation. Have you been broken for your sin? You're watching online. You don't even know what it means to be broken for your sin. We'd love to talk with you. You call here at the church Monday through Friday. Or give one of us a call, one of the pastors. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to show you what it means to accept Jesus as your Savior. If you're here tonight and you don't know, I'll be down front. Dave will be down front to talk with you. There is no thing better than receiving the grace of Jesus. There is no thing better than receiving freedom from sin. There's nothing better than receiving the goodness and love of Jesus that was displayed for us through his blood on the cross. How incredible is that? Let's pray as Andy plays. And if you want to come forward, leave the altar open for just a minute. Come forward and pray. We'd love to pray with you. Lord God, we just thank you for providing your son Jesus so that we might have life. Lord God, we thank you that despite the external temptations and Satan prowling around like a lion, Lord, you have overcome sin and death. Lord, by your power and your power alone and our reliance on you, are we able to overcome the temptations that we, without a doubt, will face daily. Lord, we are so in need of you. Lord, we thank you that you are eternal, unchanging, you are unchanging when you tell us 2,000 years ago, Lord, that you love us, you still love us today. You're still going to love us tomorrow despite what we do. 
despite our shortcomings, while we were yet sinners, Lord, you died for us in our place. Lord God, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you and they want to talk, but I pray tonight would be the night that they would come to know you as their Savior. Lord, if there's somebody watching online and they don't know what it means to know Jesus as their Savior, Lord, if, you, if your word says if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a promise that we can stand and win. It's a promise we can share and know is true. Lord God, I pray that we'll rely on that promise every single day to us that we might live and have freedom from sin. Lord God, we love you. We praise you. We ask for safety as we go home from tonight. Lord, we ask that we would live faithful lives each and every day. And as we gather together next week, we would be encouraged to continue to go out and do the same. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.